0: right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want as long as you got them facts. We have a lot to get through tonight. I wanted to get through a Warner Street segment talking a little bit about Trump uh, and his battle with the FBI, Uh, the the ins and outs of that, what's going on there. And I also want to get into a big highlight of the weekend. We had some heavyweight championship Boxing, Alexander Usyk defended his title and, of course, retained it over Anthony Joss. I Wanted to give my thoughts on that. And then moving beyond that, I had a pawn for the review segment. Uh, of course, I wanted to get through games this track. ...on Eminem, Black Slim Shady. Eventually, I'll be going through his entire album. I'm actually listening to it as we speak. Uh, It's a pretty long album uh, to go through, to sift through. So, uh, once I get through that, I'll be uh, putting out a review segment for that. But tonight, just a diss track, uh, referring to Eminem and again... uh, just just some more talking points there on the hip hop side of things and then also I wanted to get into some more sports, Uh, we have a college football update, I wanted to talk about the top 25 going into the preseason and there's some interesting news coming out of the Pac-12 referring to UCLA and then also wanted to give some more thoughts on or maybe some final thoughts uh, on some conference realignment or potential ideas for conference realignment for the Pac-12 beyond that I'll be going to the NFL Uh, just giving a brief brief And final word. Yeah, this will be as brief as possible. And just one final thought on uh, Deshaun Watson's suspension. I wanted to uh, get through a couple highlights or a couple headlines here with Tom Brady returning to practice for the Buccaneers. And, of course, we have an injury to a rookie. And then also uh, some preseason scores from, I guess, week three. week I don't know what to call it now. Uh, But anyways, we have some preseason football to get through. And then finally, I want to wrap some things up with a bit with an MLB update of course the scores from tonight the standings I wanted to go through some stats leaders as well so the top offensive players in the MLB also the top pitchers and uh, eventually we'll be getting to the finalists for both the Cy Young and the MVP award uh, for MLB as well so again like I said a lot to get through tonight so I'm just gonna go ahead and get into it and first things first course, with, with the work on the street segment, of course, we all know about Trump having his mar lago I guess, residence or his club, whatever residence or I don't know what you call it, island, all that. It was pretty much rated or I guess you could say there was a search warrant and they decided well, they enacted on that search warrant, that being the FBI, and they went ahead and uncovered some classified Uh, Sorry, classified documents. Now, with the investigation or I guess you can call the seizure of documents uh, a couple weeks ago, about a week or so ago on his home and also the files that were turned over about, I think, in January, it brings the file count or classified document count up to 300. So over 300 classified documents have been given over to the government from Trump very suspicious in my opinion off the top just saying now this includes correspondence with the cia fbi national security uh you know uh organization or sorry agency you know so all type of you know correspondence with him and i guess you know other you know other important information i don't know all that's in it but again according to the fbi he has all these documents they're trying to investigate how he got all the the hand, his hands on this stuff in the first place and according to his own staff, they were told that he was declassifying material. He wanted them to declassify material. Now, as far as I can remember, I can't think of anything truly important that was ever declassified at uh, any point in his presidency other than about some liberal people we might have already known or already been, you know, talking about possibly. Uh, I, I can't. You know, and if I'm wrong, let me know. Y'all talk to me. Uh, but I can't think of anything he important that he declassified or disclosed to us. Uh, you know, I think, you know, honestly, this is a way to control his narrative, to have, you know, whatever information that might be damaging to him in his uh, vision and his control. That's how I see it. Whatever he might be able to dig up or have on it, whoever, you know, potential competitor he might have. He has that that's kind of how i look at it um again because again, this is the issue here now before everybody says, well what's what's with all this why are we having this in the first place why are they you know i guess seizing or raiding his house well he's broken he's broken a law to an extent this is the this is the president uh president a uh, presidential records act excuse me all official materials remain government property, and it has to be given to the archives at the end of any term. So it doesn't matter who you are. You have to get up these files. Uh, you know, that's just the, the rules. Trump isn't, you know, above you any of this now the investing the investigation excuse me, would begin around may with subpoenas for the missing documents the investigation would then lead to an interview with trump and his lawyers a little bit later down the line now the cold part is the media immediately when there were some subpoenas sent out there were documents given you see what I'm saying? It's a weird pattern here. So they asked for documents here. Here's some just to kind of quell them down. Then they meet up with Trump, like I said, a little bit down the line and his lawyers. And they were given a few more files. I guess files that they said, oh, okay, we went through these. These aren't damaging against Trump or whoever our allies are. That's, again, that's what it leads people to believe. Just saying. And that's kind of how I take it. There's no other way. Because, again, he know he should know the rules. You're not supposed to have any of these files. So they're supposed to already have been given up in the first place. He wasn't supposed to have any of this. So again, they give over some more. And before I go any further, you know, oh again and again they, uh, I get the feds. They decide to set up some surveillance around Marlago. They discover people have been, you know, moving around these files, and that leads to more investigation. They find out, oh more deep more classified documents that they're just shifting through and moving around you have reports of aides telling them that you know telling you know feds or interviewers that you know he had them rip up pages and shit so this is what i'm gonna say i feel that there's a fat ass rat in trump's camp somewhere somebody's giving some ways giving away some crucial information but in reality a lot of people are just talking regardless about what's going on these average little aides, and they're saying their little piece, and I think what's going on, uh, and y'all, I'm thinking, you know, again, I could be wrong, but this is how my mind kind of interprets it. I think you have Trump uh, taking... A good majority or a good portion of these files and then you know to save face to save their ass you probably had these aides or whoever helped them out you know take take some out of there you know take some to themselves to be able to get to these authorities so they don't get in trouble you know in exchange for some type of leniency or you know but I feel like I said, there's a rat somewhere. But in reality, there's just a lot of people talking in general to say their ass because this motherfucker is doing illegal shit. You know what I'm saying? So you can talk about Hunter Biden all you want to. We'll look at Trump. You know, we could talk about what Joe Biden has done. All these motherfuckers is crooked, if you ask me. You see what I'm saying? Y'all want to jump on Hunter Biden's case and say, yeah, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the third, but, you know, fail to neglect that Donald Trump and uh, Donald Trump Jr., excuse me, and, you know, uh, what's his name? Eric Kushner, uh, his son-in-law, uh, you know, they own these properties, these section eight type of properties, low income properties that are rat infested. They are mold infested, cockroach infested, breaking down, deteriorating. And who lives in the Black folk. They selling to black people. They got black people paying rent there. So again, none of these people really, in my opinion, got my back. So again, we could sit there and argue, but I'll say this. You know it's bad when Fox News is against you. Now, I got a couple excerpts from this article written by Bradley Moss, uh, pretty much stating, uh, you know, basically that Trump, he's not protected by anything. He broke the law pretty much, and he deserves whatever comes to him through this investigation. Now, like I said, you know it's bad when Fox News is against you. Now, like I said, I have a couple excerpts here. One of them goes, he was no longer shielded by any any privileges or protections of the office of the presidency at the point beyond physical security protection he is subject to the laws of the united states just like anyone else bam that is true fox news saying this about trump is what it is the result and this is again coming uh you know this is based on what has you know resulted or happened since the you know the raid the result was apparently more than 25 boxes worth of presidential records shipped to Florida and stored in a basement at mar Again, this is what it is. This is exactly what happened. He had no business with these records. They should have been returned. Why does he have them? There's more to the story than meets the eye. Again, they are crooked. You want to talk about all these different part these two different parties and you want to make it Republican versus Democrat again, we're seeing that they're both full of shit that's that's what I see here now, of course, I'll be letting you know any updates as we go along. moving on uh the biggest highlight of the weekend that I wanted to get into uh of course heavyweight championship boxing. we've had some decent fights you know this year we had earlier. Uh, Tyson Fury getting it done against Deontay Wilder in their third fight. Epic conclusion to that saga. Of course, this weekend, another solid championship fight against two, you know, young, hungry guys. We had Alexander Usyk taking on uh, Anthony Joshua. Now, this was for the Unified WBA Super uh, Heavyweight title as well as the IBF WBO and IBO hence unified. Now this one was a very interesting fight to say the least. Uh Alexander Usyk would end up getting the win via split decision. Final scorecard uh was a little bit trippy in my opinion. Uh, I honestly felt the fight could have gone either way, but the final scorecard reads 115-113 for AJ, 115-113 for Usyk. Another ref had it 116-112 like I said Split decision victory for Usyk. Uh, again, I don't see it as far as a... I didn't see it as as twelve type of situation. I definitely could have saw going 115-113 either way. I definitely agree with both of those scorecards. I personally, uh, just from what I saw, uh, I definitely feel like Usyk had his moments. I felt like he probably landed a little bit more shots. But I do feel... You know, a tad bit more. Uh, but I do feel that Joshua had his moments, particularly from round 6 almost to about round 10. I will say he ran out of ran out of gas in the 11th and 12th rounds and got tagged a little bit uh, in the, a little bit there. But I feel like throughout the fight, he was adding some really good bombs and could have dropped Usyk a couple times. I also feel like he did some really good body work. The first couple of rounds could have went either way. I definitely had Usyk winning the first, but then I had AJ winning the second. And they were still, in my opinion, up until about round six, give or take. It could have went either way. I don't think any fighter really had an advantage early. So I definitely see how you could, how you could score this fight one to 13 in favor of AJ. That's, I mean, I'm a little bit split on it myself, um, just because I, again, from what I saw. I, you know, from what I saw, AJ put in a lot of work, like I said, particularly between round six and round 10. He also was landing some clear, powerful punches uh, throughout the early rounds as well. So, again,. <sighs> it's hard to say you know um true but i do i do uh, feel like uh, rusik did enough to clinch the final two rounds the championship rounds he definitely put his uh emphasis on it you know with his combination punching again he's a volume puncher uh he definitely has a great solid jab that you saw in the beginning of the of the fight but again, you know, AJ was able to break that, break that down, navigate through that, uh, and land uh, some, uh, set up some great shots of his own. But like I said, particularly in the body, some great body combinations. So I feel like the fight could have went either way. Honestly, uh, I wasn't. You know, I was not disappointed with what I saw from AJ, to be honest with you. Again, I do think he kind of ran out of the gas in the last couple of rounds, which would have kind of pushed him over the top, in my opinion, because at that point, uh, you could kind of tell that he was tired and uh, Usyk was able to tag him a little bit more. So that might have been uh, one of the deciding factors, particularly with the 115-113 score going in favor of Usyk. Again, I don't see it 116-112. I think Anthony did a lot of work to really stun Usyk, uh, put a lot of powerful shots. I think it can get interesting for Usyk moving up and maintaining heavyweight status. Uh, there's going to be some guys that hit a little bit harder than AJ. I don't know about their, their uh, technique just yet, uh, but definitely uh, he definitely is probably the best technician of the heavyweight so far, maybe outside of uh, football. Fury a great mastermind being Usyk so again I thought it was a great fight uh, a fight that could have went either way again uh, Anthony I know he was a little bit disappointed his reaction to what went on probably wasn't his his greatest uh, moment but again you know I get the frustration the fight was pretty damn close Uh, I don't know what happens uh, with him from here Uh, He is over 30 you know how that goes everybody you know or starts thinking somebody's old as soon as they hit 30 in the sports world. But I think he has a few good fights left in him. He obviously can't beat Usyk. Can't he reach, you know, high or critically acclaimed status or championship status again? It's going to be hard because, you know, of course, Usyk holds so many belts. And I don't know what the deal is with Fury and what he's going to do with the one belt he has. So we'll have to wait and see. There's also some questions about Usyk if he's a lineal champion. I don't know um, he, if if Fury is still active he would have to fight Fury and take that that's how the the lineal title works now if Fury retires and of course he relinquishes that because of course he's retired and he would have to earn that fighting a lot of these guys I don't I don't know who I mean he, he Outside of Joshua and a few other guys that are so, so, who else has he gotten a ring with? It'll be interesting to see him in the ring with, you know, Wilder maybe, you know, to kind of, you know, get that status up. So, I think he still has a, a, a you know, a ways to go before he's solidified as an all-time great. But I think he's done a whole lot now, just becoming a unified champion, a lineal champion. Again, uh, he has to either go through Fury or wait till Fury retires, and you know, have a fight set up to determine that at that point, or maybe it'll be given to him based on what he's done so far, and I. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't argue with that because he's he's shown that he's you know pretty you know pretty good fight. He's already a, uh, a you know a champion in two weight classes and he's looked really dominant or looked really proficient against heavyweight competition at least. So, so I'll say that. So great matchup over the weekend. Again, uh, shots out to Alexander Yusik and AJ. Uh, positivity both of those guys, really good showing, really great heavyweight fight. We haven't, uh, we've, you know, it's been a while since we've had some great heavyweight boxing. So, again, whether they're American or not, black American or not, I don't fucking care. I like to watch good boxing. And it was, it was a good fight to see. Uh, definitely all right y'all before we uh, take a break of course i want to give you guys upon and upon further review segment of course uh, your boy the game is at it again we knew about this i kind of talked about this before uh he's been beefing well yes he he has been beefing not so much a back and forth but he has had issues with eminem for some weird reason and uh, of course that's led to him dropping this diss track black some shady 10 minutes of him going in, kind of, in a way. Because uh, the first two verses are solid. Although he's not necessarily targeting him, he's kind of just sampling his flow and kind of venting his frustrations, in my opinion. And uh, let me just set it straight about Eminem Disses. I don't know if it because it's mostly black MCs getting at him. But I'm tired of people bringing up the fact that he's Wyatt and some type of shit about him being, you know, uh, you know, given some special privilege because of this and all that, this and that. I'm going to tell I'm going to say like this. This is the result of us not controlling our own destiny in terms of rap music, rap music. if, If we feel that way, rap music should not have been become should not we should have not allowed, you know, this mechanism to exist because at the end of the day the artists and the rappers have made this what this is by signing on those dotted lines with the mainstream corporations and giving them that power giving them that leeway that control over who gets what uh do i believe in that conspiracy though i think some of it is kind of conspiracy because i'm just going to be honest with you the biggest you know consumers in terms of money in terms of who's buying it in terms of hip hop of course are white folks. So I think they're going to relate to who looks like them. Just like when you watch a sport event, particularly boxing, you see a black guy, he's fighting a Mexican or a white guy, who you vote who you rooting for if you're a black, you know, sports fan, you're going to probably root for the black fighter just like the latinos going to vote for, you know, the you know the latino fighter. You look at, you know, Manny Pacquiao, he has a big Bad, you know, Filipino fan base who stands behind him. They treat him like a king, a a god of boxing. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just, you know, how it is, how it's gonna be. You know, Eminem is a reflection of white America in a way. You know, he had a song about that. You know, and I, well, and another thing, you know, that I hate is that they're always trying to get him like, you know, he's privileged, and you know, and again, back to that thing, you know. But he's pointed out. Just how much that he's seen that, you know, he's he's well aware of what the the game wants to put on him in terms. like I mean, not the game in terms of rapping, but in terms of the the mainstream game think they wanted to make him that guy. And, you know, he's acknowledged that, you know, he said, yes, if I was black, I probably would have sold half. He's very self-aware of that. So I, 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 I don't. At the end of the day, he's white. And the biggest, like I said, the biggest consumers of rap just happened to be white. Again, he's a reflection of who they are, a lot of them. So I don't have a problem with them gravitating to them. Just like, you know, let's be real here. I mean, and, and let's be honest, I mean... As of right now, the biggest selling album, at least when he first dropped, was NBA Young Boys album, almost like whatever, almost a million. So you still under, you still, you know, we still got the pulse of what's going on. It's still biggest rappers, still, you know, most popular rappers out right now. How the rappers out are brothers and all that. So making it about a race thing and, and saying that Eminem spot is because he's, you know, because, you know, industry forced him that way or kind of made him like an industry plant. I can't buy that. I think that was just organic. And again, he's he's white. Again, white people are gonna gravitate to them to, they, to to each other. You know, they're the biggest. Like I said, the biggest buyers of rap financially in terms of money. It's just how it's gonna be. You know, I, I, I can't I can't blame Eminem for being who he is. That's not right. You know, that's like black, white folks being you know antagonistic towards us for being you know black. You know it. it doesn't seem right i don't i don't i can't i can't do that you know and in terms of his 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 background have y'all not done any homework on him he's the least bit he didn't grow up being privileged he grew up you know eight mile trailer parks and shit You know, outside of Detroit, going to school with all black folk, getting jumped on because he is the only black kid. You know, I I understand because I was in a reverse situation. I was in an all white community, but I still was antagonized because I was the only, you know, all black, you know, the only black kid. So, you know, privilege, I I don't see that in his background. I don't understand where these other rappers get that, but that's like the the main mode of attack. Let's talk about how he's white, how he doesn't deserve this because he, he's white and he can't penetrate the culture. But he's around, he's relevant. He, he, you know, he was brought in by a a black man. He helped elevate the career of another black man, 50 Cent. So it's just like and others, you know, like in D12 and Royce the 59, who was in Slaughterhouse, Joe Button, all that. They ate off that. They got that extra 15 minutes of that. Crooked and Joel got noticed and got their notoriety because of that association with Slaughterhouse and Slim Shady and the Shady brand. So, you know, he's done a lot. You know, he might not be anybody's cup of tea, particularly now. Of course, everybody falls off. But let's stop acting like y'all wasn't listening to, hi, my name is, dude, even in California, 106K and You know, that's our biggest uh, radio station that we listen to. That shit was on there all the time. Eminem was on the radio all the time back in the day. Just like a lot of these motherfuckers. I mean, yeah, you don't listen to, you you don't listen to Jay-Z. I mean, sorry, you don't listen to Eminem all day in your car, but you don't listen to Jay-Z either. You don't listen to, you listen to whoever. a lot of y'all listen to whoever is relevant right now. Let's keep it real here. Whoever's hot, whoever's mainstream hot right now, you might listen to a few of your local rappers and all that. But you have a set specific playlist, of course. Not everybody is listening to to Eminem in the club, of course. But not everybody is listening to the game either. Not everybody is, like I said, nobody, not everybody listens to Kanye. This goes through, I mean, everybody goes through this. So, again, these arguments that they have against Eminem to begin with, they're bogus in a way. But with that being said, like I said, the first two verses, they're solid to an extent. He ain't really going at him, but he's just spitting some pretty, decent game type of bars because he, he spits good bars it, it, he is who he is you know he's a he's a rhyme smith but again it wasn't really a whole lot of substance to be that to be had really uh if anything he it was like an homage because homage to, to him because he had his whole flow and cadence and everything he would show you different m cadence since the whole song so it's like to say that oh i i don't listen to none of your albums and i don't listen to none of that but you can't copy four or five of his flows. You listening to something because the only way you can copy something like that is if you listen to it over and over and over again. So you definitely a fan. I'm not saying you a stand, and just because you like Eminem doesn't mean you have to be a stand. Get out of this, particularly black hip hop fans. Oh, they love to throw that at somebody's face. Don't, uh, it's like you can't be black and be a fan of Eminem. With to some people. It's like bro, he's alright, he's good, he can spit, bro. Get over it. I'm not gonna say he's a god or a rap god. None of these motherfuckers are rap gods to me. I don't believe in the concept of a goat, because again, I don't believe in goat worship because again, that's on the lines of Baphomet. And also I just I just think that there's when you start getting these con these conversations, again, this is what happens. You wanna disparage another person. So and game got a whole lot going on with him. Because again, even the people that are cool with it, like like his diss track, they trying to still figure out, well, what the fuck fans again? They trying to figure out what the fuck this is all about. We don't know what the fuck this is all about. They love to make the little you know the uh, interview excerpt. Where they go, why are you why are you dissing? And he goes, well, 56 can't rap. Well, I mean, eh, yeah, I guess. So I'm gonna go after the highest you know the high head, and that's you know him. And I'm like, okay, right. But it was 10 minutes. The final verse, he tried to say something. The one bar that I thought was like, ooh, okay, that kind of, he kind of got him was a little Debbie bar referring to his dad, you know, messing around with his mom. His mom was supposed to be underage. That ended up not being true. So, like, his one bar, in my opinion, that was supposed to really hurt, it ended up not being true. So, it was just like, what the fuck are you going on? Of course, he had to make his Haley reference. Everybody make a Haley, everybody makes a Haley reference. Like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, this is the most typical Eminem diss track. You know, and and people are saying you know Machine Gun Kelly's is better. Eh, eh. I mean both of them, in my opinion, I mean they both kind of mid tier. I know y'all gonna be like, well, you you must be a stan. You must be not really. I just like real diss tracks. In my opinion, none of these, none of both, none neither one of those tracks are on the level of ether or no Vaseline. Cause look at look at him. He's still out there. Y'all didn't stop nothing. All y'all say was, oh well, he ain't he ain't nothing. And, and then the, and then the dude and then Game had the nerve to be happy because he outsold him the second week. But you still sold 24k. That ain't shit. And him already sold 45k his first week. So he already outsold you in total. So what? Oh God. I mean, nothing he said really hit this was mid-tier this um, his flow was cool in certain parts the beat was nice if he would have made like a a homage you know a song taking some homage to him and kind of talking and reflecting about what he said about him and then saying look you know I get it I've been frustrated and kind of made it something like that fine but you're not better than him you ain't never gonna be better than him and you know you gotta let it go you never carried the west coast either let's just be real you're not better than M. You didn't carry the West Coast. So it's just let it go. Like you 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 had your lane. You had your time in which you was you know, everybody wants to turn on against the, the industry after they've already been a part of it and now they not, you know, getting as much notoriety from it. So now he's mad at the industry, now he's now he's saying the industry propped up M M&M. M. Boy, they propped up you. They propped up you to be the second coming of the West Coast, despite them having a whole last region that they ignore all the time, the Bay Area. being carried carried by E40 30, 40 plus, 30, damn near 40 years a rap, come on now, stop it stop it, shut up, game I mean, it's like, just just, just. you you would've did better off recruiting them to be on your album having a positive type environment 30 tracks, whatever, that's a long ass album but still, you would've did better by having them on and collaborating with you instead of having to diss them and all that I don't see, again the bars were okay, but overall, mm-mm. a lot more could have been done here. All right, y'all. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be getting deeper into some sports. I'll be coming back with a top 25, uh, well, sorry, the, sorry, college football uh, preseason rankings, and we'll go uh, deeper from there. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. y'all so we are back and uh, let's get into some college football we are about a good week away from the, the most meaningful action taking place, so uh, I am going to be going over some conference uh, previews as the day, as the days go on. I got a special Pac-12 edition uh, going on to YouTube as well as an SEC edition, both going on to YouTube. Uh, but for the other conferences as well as the independents, I will be kind of taking some some time into some uh, into some into putting up some segments here on the podcast but uh today we are going to get well tonight we are going to get through the top 25 and then like i mentioned before we have some interesting developments coming from the Pac-12 of uh, course uh, referring to UCLA so let's get into the top 25 of course i'm not going to get into every team right now because of course i'll be doing it uh, well breaking breaking some more stuff down as we get into the conferences so that means of course each team so at least every team in the top 25 you'll hear some notes about at some point before the season starts that is the goal so let's get into the top 25 like I said uh with number 25 BYU last season was a good season for them Uh, 10 and 3 is what they is what they finished at Uh, they had wins against Utah and Arizona State and were 5 and 1 versus the Pac-12 uh in 2021 now uh speaking of Pac-12 you know um, realignment or expansion, that would have been a perfect suggestion. I know uh, it's a little bit of a different culture at BYU. It might be a little bit off, but again, they seem to have a history, a long history actually, of playing Pac-12 schools. They seem to be familiar, particularly with the southern, uh, with the south, the South Division teams like like we mentioned before, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. So um, they seem to have some type of history with those teams. It possibly could have worked, but again, Pac-12 wasn't thinking... Uh, I guess uh long term. So anyways, uh, but they would go on to lose the independence ball twenty eight to thirty-one. Uh they also would lose their top rusher, Tyler Algier, in the off season. He would go on to have over sixteen hundred yards. They have they do have nineteen returning starters though, including seven offensive linemen. Uh and they also add Oregon transfer Kingsley Asua Mataya up to that line. Now despite giving up uh around 26 well I'm sorry they they are losing out of they sorry they lost about 26 uh total players on the defensive side but they are returning 11 starters excuse me including their top three tacklers so again it seems to be business as usual they seem to have a manageable schedule going into the year uh they did lose their top rusher but again they seem to have some good things in their going in their direction. They have a great offensive line. Uh, They seem to have some solid quarterback play. Of course, it's the same program that had, you know, your man, um, Zach, whatever, Zach and Cody get drafted, you know. So, you know, they're they they they're doing some positive things. We have BYU here at number 25. At number 24, we have Houston. At number 23, we have Cincinnati. At number 22, we have Wake Forest. And at number 29, we have Ole Miss. One of those uh, picks, in my opinion, I don't know why that's here. I think it's to inflate whoever eventually wins the SEC. Because, again, either Alabama and or the winner of the East is going to have to probably play this squad so just having them in the top 25 in my opinion just gives Bama again Oregon you know somebody like Georgia an elevated or just a, yeah like I said an elevated win that it doesn't need to be again I don't see what Ole Miss did last year that was so amazing to warrant this uh, so Again, that's me at number 20. Uh, we had the same thing with Kentucky. They would finish 10-3 last year. Uh, they would have a big win against number 10 at the time, Florida, uh, 20-13. to But Florida will fall apart. So, again, it's like, you know, Kentucky, you know, they always get some type of, you know, credit. You know, I mean, again, they have some solid seasons in the past, but they've never bust, you know, I guess – I don't know busted is the right word, but they never have cracked open and went to the other side and won a conference championship. So it's hard for me to say, oh, this team is is, is worthy of a top 25 pick year after year after year. Uh, I believe they were in the top 25 last year, and it was just like, eh, you know, and don't get me wrong. At the end of the year, that's one thing, but, and, the, and again, this is why I have issues with preseason rankings. I don't think they're necessary because we don't know what these teams really have and what you see here is a lot of okay well this team plays in this conference and you know there is some of what happened last year being taken into consideration but it's almost like there's a whole lot more of oh well this team can be potentially good. There's a lot of what we're seeing here, particularly when we talk about USC in just a little bit. But like I said, after uh, Kentucky's big win against Florida, uh, they would also beat LSU as well, who was ranked number 16 at the time. But of course, LSU will fall apart uh, after those two wins, big wins. They would drop two straight on the road to Georgia and Mississippi State, and we all know that Mississippi State, no matter what the SEC media and the national media wants to tell us about the SEC as a whole, we know that Mississippi State ain't that good. Uh, they will lose three uh they will lose two by three to Tennessee at home and will finish second in the SEC for the first time in a while though uh, at least in the SEC East uh they will go on to beat Iowa in the Citrus ball uh, that'll be their first fourth straight ball game so again they've I mean they're winning ball games you know they're they're winning you know they're they're winning 10 games a year but again I, I just don't see this team beating Alabama even if they were to make it to a conference championship, I just don't see this team beating Georgia on a consistent basis to become a conference champion. Therefore, punching their ticket to a you know college football playoff. And you know I, I will always give respect to Alabama and Georgia, uh, but let's be real here: Bama has won the majority of titles regardless in that conference. And you know every now and again, I always say this, but this is facts. Uh, you'll see Georgia. Or every now and again, LSU or Florida win one every now and again, every ten or so years ago, ten or years or something like that. But for the most part, nobody else wins shit in that conference. So we can talk about how great they are and prop them up. But in reality, it's really just Bama and Georgia sometimes. And sometimes it'll be LSU or Florida, but it's mostly just Bama. So, again, I'm not I'm not buying it 100 percent. I love Bama. I'm always going to give Bama their respect. Again, I repeat this. And same thing with Georgia. But the rest of them, eh, you know... I, I like I said, I'm not buying it. But back to Kentucky, there will be t- uh, 36 in scoring last season over 32 points per game, 26 in points allowed, uh, 21.7. Of course, everybody's going to make so much of. Oh, well, they played in the SEC. And, they, and don't get me wrong. They on the surface, you give them the wins against Florida and LSU. That looks great in a 10 win season. But if you think about it. They lost to Georgia, who is the main team to beat in the conference, at least in that division. So that's all that really matters. Then they lost to, you know, Mississippi State and then to Tennessee, two whack-ass teams from their conference. I mean, it's like, "Eh, I get it. They solid. But, you know, again, it's almost like elevated cannon fodder for, again, whoever wins the SEC East, which is going to, you know, be Georgia nine times out of 10. Let's be real. Um, let's move on to number nineteen. We have Arkansas at number eighteen. We have Wisconsin. Number seventeen. We have Pitt. At number sixteen. We have Miami coming in. And then at number fifteen. We have Michigan State, who will finish with a, a very surprised eleven and two season uh, in twenty twenty one. They had a, a big week three win over Miami. Uh, they would get close wins over Nebraska in overtime. Also at Indiana, two teams who they well they were better. I think they were better enough to not have these close scores with, I will say that. So a lot of uh, very one, you know, very close wins, one possession, you know, one possession type of games, you know, uh, three points or less type situations for these guys luck-based. Uh, they would end up getting a win against Michigan, their big rival as well, and they will get a win over Penn State. Again, these teams, I mean, these games could have went either way last season. They're going to have to really outright, outright win these games, excuse me, or they're going to lose these games um, So this season. So, it, it, it is what it is. They would suffer two ugly losses, one of them being at Purdue. Again, Purdue ain't nobody, so that was an ugly loss for them. They're going to have to take that L. And, of course, Ohio State smacked them and brought them back down to earth to an extent. Uh, but, again, They played pretty decent in that game. Now, they will lose their top back, Kenneth Walker, uh, but they did add transfers, Derek Broussard, who was previously at Colorado. He also was a player under their head coach, uh, Mel Tucker, for a while. Uh, They also bring back five defensive starters, including two starters at linebacker. Uh, They also bring back uh, a member of their D-line as well. Uh, They will be returning, like I said, they will be returning pretty much their entire D-line, looks like, yeah, and they will be adding another transfer from Florida, Chris Boggle, to the the D-ins side of things. So the defense was, the defense, and that's all good because the defense was their, biggest weakness last season they gave up about 325 yards a game Uh, but like i said they they bring back um six players along the defensive line with starting experience again they bring it back about five total starters uh complete starters uh to that defense so they seem to be moving in a positive direction so again i think they take a step back but not too far of a step back i say maybe eight to ten wins uh probably nine is your is your Magic number here. Like I said, a, t- a step back, but again, I think they still improve in different ways and they set up uh, a future, uh, you know, a possible future of success. That's the big thing here. Number 14, I think the most controversial part of this we have uh, USC. Again, this is, pr- in my opinion, this is pretty much based on uh, Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams coming to town because the last few seasons they've underperformed. At a fact, they've underperformed just about every year. And, um, you know, they're every now and again, oh no, matter of fact, they their last conference championship hasn't come in about five seasons. So again, we can talk all, you know, talking to the hot cows, come home about how this team is really overrated. Uh, but again, they'll be making their way to the Big Ten I don't see how they're a number 14 team. They didn't look like a top 25 team to end the season. So I don't know where they're getting this from. Again, this is pretty much all hype. Uh, Just as a disclaimer, um, I don't want to get too much away before I get into my deep dive into the Pac-12. But they're not even a top team in the conference in terms of recruiting. So, again, they're ranked higher. They ranked at number 14. Why? Brand name alone. And it's it's a damn shame. It's really a damn shame. But anyways, up to number thirteen we have North Carolina State, and number twelve we have Oklahoma State, and number eleven we have my Ducks, and number ten we have Baylor, who finished last season twelve and two, and we're going to win the Big Twelve title. They were four and one against the top twenty-five last season, and then uh, they were going to lose, but. In the offseason, they're going to lose their top running back and their top two wide receivers, so their offense—it's uh, going to probably take us a little bit of a step back this se- uh, this season. Uh, but they will be led under center by Blake Sharpen, who was the MVP of the Big Twelve title game. Uh, he will go on to beat uh, beat out a uh, a transfer. I don't got his name right here, but he would go on. He would go on to beat out uh, the former starter, leading leading that starter to go on to the transfer portal. But we got Blake Sharp leading the, the offense, and uh, it looks to be you know some improvements that need to be made offensively. It's going to be some growing pains on that side of the ball, uh, but you know they should finish. They well they do have a great defensive uh, coach, so they should finish uh, in a decent spot. You still got Oklahoma in that conference, for at least another year maybe two seasons, if I'm not mistaken, and Texas. So anything could happen. I know they're not the outright favorite to win it uh, still. But, again, they um, they definitely turned a lot of heads last season. So I think uh, they should be in a must, uh, much better spot. Uh, because, again, like we said, uh, de- defense will be their focal point. Last season, uh, they pretty much... Um particularly on the defensive line. Uh, They only gave up about 118 rushing yards a game on 3.3 yards per carry. So that's going to be their calling card defense. Uh, Like I said, uh, they got head coach Aranda down there. Uh, They're going to be, particularly like I said, with them losing those pieces on the offense, look for them to take a, a definitely a definite turn into becoming more of a defensive kind of grind you out type of type of team they returned all three starters that they had last year on the defensive line oh well sorry they returned three starters including gabe hall and tj franklin who were going to combine for 10 sacks last year they also add a uh transfer from Tulsa uh, by the name of Jackson players so again the defensive line looks like to be looks like the key to this team's success is what they're banking on and we'll have to just see what happens at number nine we have Oklahoma at number eight we have Michigan at number seven we have Utah and at number six we have Texas A&M in my opinion uh, a team here that's pretty much here based on hype. They finished last season eight and four. They barely beat out Colorado in their uh, home opener, ten to seven. They were going to have two back to back. Where well, they were going to lose two uh, divisional games before uh, going on to shock Alabama, forty one to thirty eight. So a close game there. So they finally got the job done. It took them a few years to do it. But the cold part is they would cap off the regular season with a loss to LSU. And of course, they didn't end up winning the West, uh, their Western Division. They they haven't won a divisional title and made it to the SEC championship game since they've been here but again you know the sec is so great it's so powerful you know i'm not going to give it all away uh, because again i'm going to go through a deep dive of this conference as well but i'll tell you this one team in this conference hasn't won a one team in the sec hasn't won a conference title since 1969 We'll just say it like that. So it is what it is. They want to brag about how great this conference is, but again, it's it's team by team. That's how you should be looking at this. They did do their starter down there at Texas A&M, Zach Calzada, and they will be having pretty much a quarterback battle up until probably, you know, game one between Haynes King, Max Johnson, and transfer Connor uh, Wigman. And they will battle it out, like I said, for the starting job. Uh, they return three starters on the offensive line, six starters will lead the defense, but they do have, like I said, the top recruiting class in the nation, So they are looking to be, I mean, they're banking on that. Um, that's pretty much, in my opinion, the only reason why they could be ranked number six, because again, I, I don't see where, you know, there's a record or there's a, tra- uh, you know, a, a pattern of them being a playoff caliber team or on the outside of it. That's just me. I, but again, you know, this will be a great win once once you know Alabama takes them out and beats them. This will be a great win to add to Alabama's padded you know in a way padded record. Just saying. I'm not. I, I just don't see where Texas A&M is all that great when they haven't won a national championship since the 1940s. They haven't won a conference title regardless of whatever conference they've been in Big 12 or the SEC since 1998. But, hey. It is what it is. They're so great. Anyways, at number five we have Notre Dame, and number four we have Clemson. Uh, they are. They finished Tennessee last year. Uh, they pretty much started off as normal although they had they had their you know there was some rocky some rockiness there i think they did take a loss early but it was a little bit down from you know of course the expectation of national championship but you know it is what it is it happens uh like i saw oh, actually yeah they they did uh they started off immediately with a loss to georgia so um Oh, sorry, they would lose to Georgia in Week 3. Uh, but they were going to suffer a two-overtime loss to North Carolina State, again, the team that they would normally beat. They were going to lose um, in the conference. No, they were going to lose to the eventual conference champion, Pittsburgh, as well. And then they would finish the year, you know, on a five-game winning streak, though. So they got everything together, and they ended up, you know, finishing on the right note. I believe they beat up on their rival year, as usual, South Carolina. Uh, like they, I think they ended up winning their ball game as well. So, again a little bit of a step back you know people are expecting them to just turn around and be great again and i understand that i mean you know that they've been in the national championship picture the past 3 4 years straight maybe even 5 or 6 whatever i understand but again that's just my problem with preseason rankings you just really don't know like i mean they could immediately take they could immediately take a loss in week 1 so i mean and that could knock them out you know knock them out the way but you know they're here it is what it is. But they do have a new offensive uh, offensive coordinator, excuse me, Brandon Streeter. He was a former quarterback from the team, and he's been a quarterback coach since 2014. They do being Brack DJ, longalay Uh he did, well, he had, he was held to 200 yards uh, or, or less in the first seven games. So, again, uh, he's looking to try to take some strides forward. The offense is counting on it. Um, but I do think they did bring in a transfer to kind of battle it out with them to see what's going on. Uh, they will be bringing that back one of their top receivers, Will Shipley. Uh, they also bring back three other starters at Rob Receiver as well. And this is a team that was 82nd in scoring 26.3 points per game. So, again, uh, they're going to have to make some changes there. Uh, again, with the Rod, well, we don't even know what's going to happen with Pitt. Pitt could fall off. I mean, they did win the conference championship last year. They could fall off. You do have Miami it might take a second for them to get things right you know exactly right with crystal ball so you i mean so again i th- i think it's okay to see them as the favorite i mean again but this is my problem with preseason rankings i just don't i haven't seen what this team really looks like for me to really take a gauge and say take a guess and say yeah this is a top five team or whatever it just you know we haven't seen any football yet uh but they also bring in a new defensive coordinator Wes goodwin uh he would go on and it's also uh this is a defense excuse me that also returned six starters uh they were going to be one of the top defenses in the nation just allowing 14, actually the second best defense in the nation adding four, sorry allowing just 14 points a game so again they struggled offensively I think a lot of that going into this season is to figure out what's going to happen at quarterback. Is D.J. Avongalek going to be the guy? Has he improved? Uh, who do you have to take his spot? Who do you, I mean, you know, and again, is he going to be the guy? Um, but then because, again, you have a defense that's top 10. We know that they're still going to be probably top 10 as well this year. Uh, even though they have a new defensive coordinator, I think they still should be fine there. Uh, again, they plan a winnable conference. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen with Miami right away. Again, we don't know if Pitt's going to, you know, be able to repeat what happened last season. And for the most part, well, you know, for what it's worth, the ACC was a pretty decent conference. You know, Carolina State was ranked. So, we'll, as a, again, it's a wait and see in my opinion. This is why I mean, I'll report the top twenty five. I'll never come up with, won't come up with one myself because again, I haven't seen no football to make a decision like that. But again, the media wants to, to crown whoever early. They wanna set up these matchups early and all that. It's all about, you know, quote-unquote, in my opinion, manufacturing the best top four, really which is going to consist of two SEC teams and whoever they feel is worthy. And I'm talking about the media and them influencing the selection community. It's, it's, It's what it is. It's always been convoluted. That's my opinion about determining a college football champion. The system, no matter what it is, BCS, poll rankings and all that. Even now with the selection committee, it's all convoluted just to kind of make certain certain teams uh, look more elevated than others. I'm just saying, I... <sighs> It is what it is. I'm just going to move on. At number three, we have Georgia. At number two, we have Ohio State. And at number one, we have Alabama. That's your top 25 going into the season. And again, like I said, we have about another week to go before all the action takes off. So moving on, I want to get into some interesting developments coming from the Pac-12, of course. Dealing with some, hmm, well, maybe the move to the Big Ten might not be possible for UCLA after all. Now, of course, we talked about them and UCLA, sorry, them and USC making that jump after this season to the Big Ten. Of course, it was... Definitely some controversy, kind of let the conference in a loop, but now it looks as though there might be, you know, might be some type of wrench uh, that could be thrown in that plan, at least for the Bruins. Now, the UC system is mulling over a new set of rules that would regulate decision making on individual campuses, i.e. what UCLA is currently doing, of course, moving to the Big Ten. Now, the UC is looking for ways to actually stop the move entirely as well, so we'll have to see what happens. Happens. Uh, I don't know. Well, the thing that, well, the the issue, the difference between, if you're asking yourself right now is, why is USC not facing the same problem? Well, it's obvious. I think we do know. But some, you got to know this at this point. USC is a private school. UCLA is a part of the University of California system, which includes other schools like UC Irvine, UC Riverside. At least on the D1 level, the FBS level, it's going to be consistent of UCLA and uh, CAP. Um, yeah, that's the only thing I could, that's the only two teams I can think of off the top of my head. But definitely USC, sorry, UCLA and Cal. So again, they're all part of the same, you know, university system. They follow the same type of guidelines. They have the same chancellor, so on and so forth. Uh, and I guess, you know, the UC system is, is seeing how this move uh, to the another to another conference could put Cal in a bond. That's what I'm, that's what it looks like to me. And they're kind of saying, well, hey, wait a minute, you know, Cal needs somebody to play with. We want the UCs to be together. In my opinion, I think all the Pacific schools should be together. I mean, it it makes perfect sense sc wants to have more money in his pocket if sc wants to have more money they should have been they should be making it consistently a better team you know i think if we as a conference start winning some national championships start winning more significant ball games outside of oregon winning the rose ball then hey we'll have more of leverage we'll have more of bargaining power when it comes down to these offers we we'll need offered more from the jump i'm just saying That's how you, that's how you become organically, the team, that's how you do, that's what you're, I mean, that's how you develop what the Big Ten has developed, and, you know, a lot of that is, I mean, and a lot of that is partly because it's in the Midwest, there is more of a feverish market for football, meaning they're going to be more invested, there's going to be higher viewership, so I will give you that, there's a lot more going on out here, so football is not your number one go-to, uh, but again, if they, we had a consistent national product, uh, with consisting of multiple teams, and not just like a SEC situation. Um, because it, it might work. Well, it works for the SEC because the media just will hype everybody else up in the SEC as well. They don't just they don't just say Alabama's a cumulative prop or Georgia who recently won a championship. They'll try to make a case for Mississippi State. They'll do they can do it for just about every team in that conference, except for maybe Vanderbilt. Maybe even Mississippi State. But everybody else they try to give they try they tr- like just like you know with Ole Miss, they'll always try to throw Ole Miss into the top twenty five. Why? They don't win anything. They haven't won anything significant in a very long time. So again, we have that going on here. So you know, the Pac-12 has been put in this bind, this situation where, oh well, can can a team be financially viable in this conference? Can they? Can this conference make money? Because it's so much about, oh well, let's let's give these let's. Uh, Well, because it's NIL deals. Let's be honest here. You know, these big TV deals, they're going to be used to fund these NIL deals, try to get these these athletes here. And again, it's the wild, wild west. And when it comes to that, there's no real legislation on that just yet. So again, you're going to see the big bank try to take the little bank. And that's what happened. Let's just be honest. And the Big 12 was kind of smart in terms of what, what, what they could do, and they were able to get some, some talented teams. Uh, they're probably not going to be on on par with the historical, you know, reference or the historical, sorry, relevancy that uh, Texas and Oklahoma brought. Uh, of course, we're talking about BYU and Cincinnati now. But, again, they made a smart move by picking up some solid teams uh, I would even say high mid-tier teams, teams that could find themselves in a New Year six ball every now and again. Oregon, they failed to do that. Uh, they decided to stop at Colorado and Utah when they probably could have made an effort to get a couple other teams. Uh, there was a time when I mentioned this before. Texas was interested. They could have made that happen, but again, they just they just stayed on. They sat on their hands and they figured that they would, you know. Teams will come calling to them, but again, if you're not producing a national champion yearly, if Oregon is not, if Oregon every other year is going to is going to lose to somebody unranked, then it makes the conference look bad. Let's just be real here. It's just what it is. Now, but um, like I said, uh, now again, this is all financial. This is all you know. That's all what it comes down to, Cause because the USC move will eventually cost the pack. I'm not going to even call it the Pac-12 right now. I don't even know what to call it. But it eventually cost the Pac about $9.8 million in terms of media rights. So, using, I mean, you could just imagine losing UCLA, which probably isn't as big as a, as a brand name as USC, of course. But, again, it's going to be, you know, a significant amount. So, it, it's affecting the conference. Uh, and this, again, adds to the Big Ten pockets. It's all what it is. The Bruins Athletic Department, you know, uh, they're facing a deficit of over $100 bucks. This is why... Probably they, you know, I understand why they would want more media rights. That means more money for them, more money for that program. So I kind of get it. But again, like I said, the Pac-12, well, at least the Pac-12, in conjunction with the UC system it's like well hold up now we need one of y'all motherfuckers to stay so and they have a point because realistically who else could they get uh, I've, th- I've thought about a few names in which they could add uh, San Diego State is a solid name in my opinion Boise State is a team that's uh, has some history particularly recent history with playing particularly the Pac-12 North team so t- t- sorry, Pac-12 North teams like Oregon Oregon State so I don't see I don't see where that would be a, uh, a bad idea so there's a few teams there uh i've also thought about maybe potentially pitching an idea to a team on uh, in the, in the you know the big 12 like a texas tech uh somebody like that you know somebody on the fringes uh or maybe even on the fringes of the big 10 like telling them hey you know you might get a bigger chunk from the chunk from the big 10 in terms of these checks these media rights checks but is it all worth it when in reality you're still not recruiting nobody because you're not winning so maybe you pitched, you know, maybe you pitched the concept of a Western conference with all these Western West of the Mississippi teams. And, you know, you get maybe you try to get in Nebraska or maybe you try to pitch to Illinois and try to say, hey, like I said, you might get paid more, but you ain't winning in this conference. Maybe take a, maybe take a step, you know, out here, you know, kind of, you know, meet up with us and w- maybe we can make something happen. Who knows? Because I think in reality. You know, the media is going to say what they're going to say. They're going to, I mean, and they're going to try to manipulate. Again, we can see that with, you know, their preseason rankings where they're going to put these teams. But if you can put out a consistent winner, what can they really tell you? Organize needs to crossover and win a national championship. Let's just be honest here uh, at this point. Um, somebody other than USC had to. Should have done it by now, and it's just—it's such a shame. It is, and that's part of what's held us back. We have to be able to win the national championship. It it is, and particularly in football, football is the money sport. But again, this is what they're not telling you about USC and what part of these issues arise from. Let's just be honest: their attendance sucks. From twenty twelve to twenty seventeen, they averaged about sixty over sixty six thousand people, and they would finish ten and three that year. course, number seven in the AP poll. course, that probably had a lot to do. Success has a lot to do with you know people showing up. Let's be real here. This is why it's important that Oregon wins. This is why it's important that Washington won that year that they were really good. It's really important. That year that Cal was ranked number two and then lost out of nowhere. They should have they should have rolled that. (laughs) Just saying, I mean again, this is it all comes back to, to bite you, you know, because again, Alabama's gonna win it. If not Alabama one year, you're gonna have Georgia or Florida, and they can ride with that. The SEC could ride with that, and they know goddamn well nobody outside of those those teams have won anything. But they could ride with those. And i you know if you look at uh, the Big Ten, they got Ohio State. They can say they, they can claim something. We know that nobody else, particularly past you know since two thousand, can claim anything. Same thing in the Big Twelve. I mean us, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma haven't won shit. Uh, but again, they've won something recently enough to have something over us. Let's be real here. Texas Tech is nowhere near a a, a a national championship, at least as near as Oregon is. Let's just be real. But it's you know it's how the media you know projects all this. And again, they they're trying to make it as though this is such a boom. For UCLA, but again, you know, going to these different conferences. But again, us UCLA has to be a better team, regardless, because again, you know, we're seeing what happens when they're not a good team. I'm going to give you the, another the example. Let's go into this attendance. Now, like I said, they finished uh 2017 uh, ranked in the top 10. They finished with 10 wins. Again, uh, very solid record. And again, it was reflective in who was showing up. Again, we we're averaging over 66k, uh, 66,000 people. Now, in 2014. Or by 2018, sorry, by 2018, the attendance would drop 33% from that mark. The following season, they would finish with their lowest average attendance, something around the level of 43,000. This was uh, their lowest average attendance attendance since moving to the Rose Bowl back in the 80s. Now, their season opener in 2021 versus Hawaii was their second lowest attendance recorded at 32,982. Come on now. So this is it's obviously that they're not a relevant, relevant product because, again, they don't win consistently. Now, they would end up with eight wins last season. But, again, what did they do the season before that and the season before that? Again, this is a, this is what they're not telling you about all this. Oh, they're such a great team. This is such a great move for them. This is a team that hasn't won a conference title since 1998. They lost both appearances in the conference title game. And as far as a, a national championship 1940's if I'm not mistaken Sorry, I'm not buying that. There's such this great team, and it was as though the Pac-12. We're making it as though this move or the Pac-12 has held USC and UCLA back, and they're they're somehow gonna spread their wings and be this great team. No, they're just this is just for PR move for one. It make it, it makes you know it makes them you know the big, Tw- big Ten look good by adding adding these you know uh, these name brand teams or these well known teams, but they don't win anything. So really, what value do they really truly bring? But you know it is what it is y'all <laughs> that's how we gonna that's how i'm gonna cap it this off um all right y'all i'm gonna take another quick break and we come back we're breaking down some nfl news and of course i wanted to break down uh some of uh, some of the preseason as well all right y'all i'll be right back All right, y'all, we are back. We're going to wrap this up for today. I got a brief MLB and a brief NFL highlight to get into. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, For the NFL, uh, we do have the final week of the preseason coming on a little bit later on today. A little bit later on today. So I want to give you, like I said, a brief recap of the the last week. And, of course, just a few headlines. The first one uh, being Deshaun Watson. We've talked about this many times. Uh, It seems as though his official suspension is going to be at 11 games long story short i don't want to keep beating a dead horse Uh, he hasn't been convicted of any type of crime Uh, so i'm not going to label him a rapist i'm not going to label him any of those things i don't think he needs to have his job completely taken away from him i'm not going to compare him to ray rice i'm not going to compare him to anybody who's actually been convicted of rape i'm not going to go there I'm not going to label him a, a, a rapist because that's not he was co- what he was convicted of doing. Uh, was he acting in a sexually deviant manner? manner? It depends on who you ask. Some of the some of the women were willing participants. This is what makes this a very gray area. I'm not going to demonize men for wanting to express themselves sexually. Just like we are, we are in a society where we are made or being being uh, you know forced or you know being pressured to neglect what women do on the same front. So I'm not going to sit here and, and and go and bash him. I'm not even going to really necessarily call him a deviant because there's women who carry themselves in the same manner and we're not we're not looking to we're not looking to expose that or talk down about that. You know, we have songs out there called WAP that basically glorify women being sexually available to the right men or whatever. So again, uh, I think for Deshaun Watson and anybody in his predicting i think the best suggestion that i would make from what i've heard before is to know your audience know who the fuck you're talking to are you talking to a a hooker are you talking to a what we Would we will define and i know it hurts people's feelings they don't want to use this word anymore but this is this is the easiest way that we define this if she's a slut and you know that she knows that there's no there's no ounce of shame in her game that's who you talk to that's how i'm gonna keep it that's and that's how we're gonna leave it I'm not going to sit here and get into arguments with y'all. I'm not going to sit here and, and act like I'm defending nobody. Ain't really nothing to defend because really nothing really necessarily happened. But anyway, hey, y'all want to go into through that. He's out for 11 games. Uh, so it's unfortunate. You got to make sure that you're making the right decision for your career. So, so I'll be that. I'll say that if he could have been a little bit more transparent, knew he, who he was talking to beforehand, those are the things that he could have done but that's that's about it but moving on uh we had tom brady making his way back from practice earlier this week he had been gone since august 11th uh he said that he was dealing with personal issues i think he's just older and don't really feel like doing all that dumb shit there are so many uh, you know spe- speculations excuse me about what could have happened dealing with rob or all these other different things the drama dealing with the, the dolphins i just think he didn't feel like showing up now he feels like showing up you know it's about a week or so one last week to go before we get to the regular season why not you know he's 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 earned he's earned his right to kind of sit back and not be able to worry about this so Tom he made his way back to practice this season uh, this week excuse me and finally to wrap up the headlines for the NFL we have Matt Corral he suffered a Liz Frank ligament injury and he will be missing the full season and I I don't want to be that guy but I kind of not i'm not surprised by this somehow this one doesn't surprise me he just seemed to be you know ever since that injury that i heard he suffered from i'm just like "Mm, is he a little bit injury prone i just had it i just i just had this in the back of my mind not that i was wishing this to happen i just i just i just felt like it could happen again for some reason i don't know i don't know what it what it was but uh, anyways, we get through the highlights. or sorry, the headlines. Let's go through uh, the last week of the preseason, or the week before uh, for the preseason. We, everything started off on Thursday uh, with the Bears getting a win against the Seahawks, 27 to 11. We move on to Friday. Uh, we have the Patriots. Patriots getting it done against the Panthers, 20 to 10. We have another 20 to 10 victory for the Packers over the Saints. For the Saints, uh, they got help out from Ian Book. He would go 60 to 28 for 113 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would throw a pick. Uh, not much to, not much to mention on the ground. The leading rusher for the Saints would just have about forty-nine yards. Chris Alave would have a receiving touchdown. And on defense, Taco Charlton would come up with a sack, and John Bossett would come up with six tackles for the Packers. Jordan Love will get his start, completing half of his passes for, for over one hundred yards and a touchdown. Danny Etling would be would be the leader on the ground with forty-eight yards and a touchdown, and Romeo Dobbs would get a receiving touchdown as well. Defensively, safety Micah Abernathy would come up with four tackles. And an interception, and linebacker Chauncey Manick will end up with a sack. We got the Rams uh, beating, uh, sorry, the Texans beating the Rams here as well. David Mills will go 10 17 for 96 yards and a touchdown. Kyle Allen will go 9 12 for a touchdown pass as well. And even Jeff Driscoll got into the mix, going a touchdown pass on top of that. Royce Freeman would have 30 yards, and Nico Collins will be the team's leading receiver. He would go on to have four receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown. And tight end Mason Shrek, yeah, I looked him up. I had to figure out it. It just sounded like with the last name, like Shrek. I just figured he was a tight end, and I was not. I was not wrong. Tight end uh, makes Shrek will get himself a receiving touchdown as well. On defense, Houston would force four sacks and a fumble. They were going to hold the Rams to just 46 rushing yards. So, too much of well. Well, with that being said though, the Rams were still able to score some points. John Wolfe will go one, uh, sorry, 14 to 22 for 142 yards. Uh, Bryce Perkins will get some time on the center as well, going 11 to 13 for 123 yards. Trey Regos would have a, re- a rushing touchdown, and last, McCutcheon will get himself five catches for 96 yards, a team's in the receiver. And on defense, Kuby Durant, and also defensive tackle, sorry, defensive end Jonah Williams would end up with sacks, and the Rams will force a couple fumbles. As well. Uh, moving on to Saturday, we got the Broncos blowing out. Sorry, the Bills blowing out the Broncos, 42 to 15. For the Bills, Case Keenum will get some would get some time under center, going 16 of 18 for 119 yards. Sorry, 192 yards and a touchdown. Duke Johnson would have two rushing scores. Zach Moss would have uh, will score a couple times on the ground as well. Uh, Khalil uh, Khalil Shakir will be the leading receiver in terms of yards with three receptions of 59 yards. But Gabriel Davis and O.J. Howard catch and touchdown passes. And on defense, Denver uh, was held to just th- uh, 32 rushing yards by Buffalo on all just 14, but They also had just 4.6 yards a play. Baylor Inspector was a leading, leading tackler for Buffalo with seven total. Now for the Broncos, Brett Ripien will go 22 of 26 for 191 yards. Just a touchdown pass. Trey Quinn will be the team's leading receiver. He'll go on to have 47 yards. And then also tight, tight end Eric Sauber will go on to have a receiving touchdown and Barrington Wade at the linebacker spot will be the Broncos' leading tackler. He will go on to have seven, tacklers, seven tackles as well. The Colts uh, they will come up short against come, short, come up short against the Lions, twenty-seven to twenty-six. We got the Chiefs getting the best of the Commanders here, uh, twenty-four to fourteen, and then we cap everything off on Friday. I believe. Well, actually we have a couple more games for Friday. Uh, but the Raiders they do get it done against the Dolphins. Uh, 15 to 13. Jared Sitton will lead away seven of ten under the center, under the under center for 80 yards. Chase Garbage would go six of nine for fifty-four yards. he will also have 44 yards on the ground. Britain Yard Britain Brown would have 70 70 rushing yards and Tamara White would get a score. On so the defensive end of things, defensive back Sam Will would force a fumble. he also had a fumble return. he also had six total tackles in the Sean Bauer. If pretty solid. I'm not mistaken, it's my like second sack. For the Dolphins, Teddy Goldwater. Uh, with a 10-2-4, 119 yards. And uh, safety, Skyler Thompson. Sorry, sorry. Backed up, Skyler Thompson. He'd go 9-10. 119 yards. Robert Eric. The dolphin boy was more sex. Now, one thing that I will take away from the regular performance, uh, is their secondary skill a little bit and like leaning a who have been trying to str- have been struggling to kind of keep above water lately but the Guardians get the win here, seven to zip. The Guardians are 66 and 56. The Padres are 68 and 58. For the Guardians, Jose Ramirez will hit two home runs and Oscar Hernandez, sorry, Oscar Gonzalez will hit himself a home run as well. Steven Kwan will bring in two RBIs and on the mound, uh, Cal Quantrill will get the W, 10 and five on the year. He would go for about seven innings of work. Uh, gave up five hits, but no earned runs. He would also have six strikeouts. For the Padres, just six total hits, but they were zero and nine with runners in scoring position. They let seven runners on base. That's not going to get it done. They were blanked in this one. On the mound, Blake Smith, Snell will Blake take the loss. He's five and seven on the year. He would go for about three innings, giving up eight hits and six earned runs, including three home runs. He just had three, sorry, four strikeouts. Uh, we have the Marlins. They take a loss here to my A's. Three to two was the final score here. The Marlins are 54 and 70 on the year. The A's are 46 and 79. For the Marlins, Nick Fortez would get a home run His seven. Of the year, and Miguel Rojas will get an RBI as well. On the mound, uh, Jesus Luzardo will get the start. He would go for seven innings, uh, just giving up two runs and four. Uh, he would also have four strikeouts, and Richard Blyer will be charged with the L. Uh, he's, he's two and two on the year. For the A's, Chad Pender will get your two RBIs. Sky Bolt, I like that name. He would get an RBI as well. And uh, I've given this guy a lot of hell in some of his starts, but Cole Urban will end up having a decent start last night, going for seven innings giving up no earned runs he'd also have 11 strikeouts however aj puck will be given the win he's three and one on the year and again for the life of me i cannot determine i still can't determine what constitutes a win for a pitcher in the mlb i'm sorry i can't do it we got the Giants coming up short. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Giants will come up short against the Tigers 6 to 1. They are 61 and 62 on the year. The Tigers, we already know how bad they are 48 and 77. For the Giants, Tommy LaStella, I believe he will bring in the team's only RBI. And on the mound, Logan Webb will take the loss. He's 11 and 7 on the year. He just put in two innings of work, gave up six earned runs, and he would have six strikeouts, but six earned ones and just about. Four innings, ain't going to get it done. Uh, but for the Tigers, Willie Castro and Victor Reyes will bring in two RBIs each. Uh, Harold Castro, I don't know if there's any relation there to Willie, but he hit his 30th RBI of the year. And on the mound, Matt Manning will uh, get the win. Uh, he's 1-1 one one the year for about six innings, zero. He gave up zero earned runs, and he had eight strikeouts. Now that we have a good idea of what uh, went down last night, of course, we had everything kind of finish off with the Dodgers beating down on the Brewers 12-4. Of course, I didn't get through all the games, but again, we have a good idea of what's going on right now. But we look at the standings right now. We're going to start off in the American League in the East. We have the Yankees here at 76 and 48, four and six in the last ten. Uh, they're trying to improve things. They're coming off their third straight win. Uh, they have the most, the most wins at home. Excuse me, and the most wins against above 500 teams at 45. So again, they you can't beat them at. You can't beat them in the Yankee Stadium, and they seem to be still doing a decent enough job against playoff battle teams. So we'll have to see uh, how things finish up for them. They have a plus 188 run differential, which is the best in the American League and the second best in the MLB, next to the Dodgers. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Rays. They are 68 and 55, seven and a half games back from New York. Five wins in a row, so they are on the uptick as well. Uh, however, a couple things going against them is that they're 27 and 32 away from home, and they are 34 and 37 against teams above 500. And that's pretty much who they're going to be playing the rest of the way. Let's, let's just be honest here. They're going to be playing, uh, sorry, Uh, up next we have the Blue Jays who are 67 and 55, 64 in the last ten. so they're still in a decent spot. We have the Orioles as well, still coming, uh, they came back from so far this year, uh, still in the fourth place spot, but still just, just for them to be, just for them to be at this point, at this point to be, for them to be at over 60 wins. I think it's an, it's an accomplishment in itself. 64 and 59 is a record. The current record for the Warriors right now—they've gone five and five in the last ten. And of course, the last place in the AL East, we have the Red Sox, 60 and 64, 16 games back, and the only team in the division with a negative run differential—they sit at negative 44. On to the Central, we have the Guardians, who are 66 and 55, 64 in the last ten, back-to-back Ws for them. They're currently on the road. Uh, they'll be facing—they'll be on the road uh, for the next few games, facing off against the mariners they are currently 34 and 31 away from home so that should be an interesting series to say the least we have the twins here five losses in a row they stand at 62 and 64 and 6 in their last 10 Again, this is a team that also struggles against teams above 500, so it's going to be interesting to see just what that playoff push is going to look like. Uh, we have the Chicago White Sox here at 63 and 61, four games back. Uh, they have a negative 31 differential, and they don't do not have a winning record at home, which is surprising to me. They are 30 and 31. Now let's move on to the West. Uh, we have the Astros, of course. Uh, in terms of record, we're looking at the second best team in, the, in all of baseball: 80 and 45, six and four in the last ten. Uh, they're coming off three straight wins. What can you say that's negative against them? I don't know. I can't. I don't have nothing negative to say. We have the Mariners here: 67 and 57, 12 games back from the lead. 31 and 32 against teams above 500. Of course, we know about what their uh, what their you know, their, their recent schedule consists of, uh, but we have the the Rangers here at 57 and 67 Los Angeles. Uh, they are 52 and 72. And of course the Oakland A's, my favorite team getting struggling 47 and 79, 21 and a half games back. Let's move on to the national league in the East. We have the Mets on top 79 and 46, Four and six in the last 10. They are coming off back-to-back L's. Uh, We have the the Braves here who have come from the, uh, I wouldn't even say come from the bottom because they weren't last place or anything like that, but they were significantly behind the Mets, and they've just stormed through the last part of the season or the last couple of months. They're just one and a half games back, eight and two in the last 10, three straight wins. Uh, Really good record at home, 36-24, and they're currently facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals at home in Atlanta so Again, this is a good way to kind of get those those meaningful wins out the way. Uh, we have the Phillies here; they're 69 and 55, three wins in a row. Behind them, we have the Miami Marlins at 54 and 70, and of course, the worst team in all of baseball. We have the Nationals at 42 and 83. Let's move on to the NL Central. We have the Cardinals here on top, 71 and 53. They are eight two in the last ten, so that should be an interesting series coming up with the Braves. I know I I, I kind of made it seem like the Braves are going to kind of blast through those guys but you don't know the Cardinals play really good particularly in in September late August and all throughout September they just win baseball games and they end up you know winning their division when they weren't supposed to it is what it is behind them we have the Brewers of course we talked about them Uh, they took an ugly loss to the Giants last night But here they are about a game or two. Actually, six games behind the Brewers. I'm I'm sorry, the Carters if I'm not mistaken. I don't have their actual record right here. I forgot to put it down here from last night. But we have the Cubs at 54 and 70. We have the Reds here at 48 and 74. Uh, We have the Pirates here at 47 and 77. And that is the Central. Now, let's go on out to the West. We have the Dodgers here at 85 and 37. Again, the best record in baseball. The best looking team right now. We're looking at the eye test. Going by the eye test, I think the Dodgers are the best team. Uh, 64 in the last 10, plus two. Two sixty-nine run differential, the best in all of baseball. Again, just like with uh, with the Astros, what can you really say that's negative about this team? I I haven't seen any weak spots just yet. Um, it's not like with some of these teams like Chicago, like the White Sox, where you know they can't really win at home. There's some things that you can. You can point out in terms of their defense, things of that nature, uh, but uh, also even even the Yankees who struggled as of late. You know, you can't really say, you can't really point out any of those weaknesses right now with the Dodgers, but uh, moving on, we have the Giants, here, sorry, the Padres here in second place, 68 and 50, 19 games back, 4 and 6 in the last 10, back-to-back losses, but then again, it's like the, it's like they were last season. They still are struggling against teams above 500, just 20 and 29, and pretty much to solidify that playoff spot, they're going to have to go through a lot of these other playoff bound teams it's just gonna be ugly and again um not having Fernando Tatis Jr. doesn't you know do them any favors but again you think you have Manny Machado you just recently traded for Juan Soto you also traded for one of the best clothes in the league and Josh Hader you figured you'd have you'd have something going right now but they haven't as of late they're just four and six in their last 10 and again just 20 and 29 versus teams above 500 and that's 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 what gets you 19 games back in your own division. Uh, behind them we have the Giants at 61 and 62 24 and a half games back. They're completely done at least in terms of this divisional race and in the course, we have the Diamondbacks at 56 and 67 and the Rockies at 54 and 71 bringing out uh, rounding out the bottom of the NL West. Now let's move on to the Wild Card race. We have the, eight, the Rays here Excuse me, at 68 and 55 on top of everything 8 and 2 on the last 10 and they're going to be on the road against Los Angeles so it's going to be a really, really easy Set of games for them. I see them, you know, solidifying that solidifying that spot over the course of this week. We have the Blue Jays here at 67 and 55, back-to-back Ws, uh, plus 66 run differential, and they're currently on the road against the Boston Red Sox. Again, a winnable series for them. Uh, the Red Sox don't even really win at home like that. So, in my opinion, a, a, a good way for the Orioles to eat up some wins to move up, possibly in terms of you know the positioning and just or just hold on to what they have right now um behind them we have the mariners at 67 and 57 5 and 5 in the last 10 32 and 37 20 sorry 32 and 27 at home they'll be taking on the cleveland guardians uh their next few set of games so that should be that should be a close series, in my opinion. And then we have a few teams in the hunt. Excuse me. We have the Orioles at 64 and 53. Uh, there's two and a half games back from the leaders, uh, 33 and 39 versus teams above 500. But they are 36 and 24 at home. They're taking on the White Sox, so who knows what happens there? We have the Twins here as well. They're a little bit on the a little bit more on the outside looking in, just as just as well as the Chicago White Sox. The Twins we mentioned are 62 and 60. The uh, White Sox are 60. 63 and 61 for they're both four games back which is kind of why i put them you know clump them together but they're both four games back uh right now neither one of those teams are consistent enough for me to really say that they can challenge for one of these spots not like at least the orioles that's just me. Um, and let's move on to the National League. We have the Braves here at 78-48. and 48. Uh, If they fuck around, they might even win a division and might leave New York in this spot to take it. So um, I just know that the the top spot of the wild card is either going to be the Braves or the Mets. That's it. We have the Phillies here at 69-55, 64 in the last 10. I think they should be do enough to maintain where they're at right now we have the padres here at 68 and 58 and then in the mix we mentioned uh we did mention the brewers before a little bit less inconsistent they can't beat nobody above 500 right now uh they lost one of their best closers they have some of those things going against them and of course even further behind them who i don't really consider to be in the mix right now but we have the giants 61 and 62 ain't too much to say there uh they've They've fallen off significantly from the year before. So that's that's what I'm going to say right there. Now, let's move on. I wanted to give you guys some type of... Uh a perspective of what's going on in the year right now uh so i wanted to get through to some of the top players in the league right now according to their well the top offensive players according to their lps and some of the top pitchers according to their era again later on uh down the week we'll be going over the top candidates for the the uh sorry the mlb mvp and the cy young award winners for both leagues so american league you know Nationally, you already know what the deal. But let's talk about, the like I said, let's talk about the top offensive players right now according to their OPS. Starting off with Aaron Judge, uh, he sits at a one point zero five seven OPS. He currently hits a two ninety seven average with a three fourteen on base percentage, which is fifth right now. He also has a six sixty three slugging percentage, which is first. He's a lead leaguer, lead leaguer, lead leader, excuse me, in run score with one hundred home runs at forty eight and RBIs with one hundred and five. Behind him, we have Paul Goldschmidt with a one .039 OPS. He's currently first in batting average with a .335. He's also first in on base with a 1, sorry, with a 4, uh, 4.17 and he's second in slugging uh, with a 622. He's third in the league, third in Major League Baseball in hits with 148. He has 31 home runs and is fourth in RBIs with 100. Up next we have Jordan Alvarez of the Astros 1.009 OPS 297 average. Uh, He's 3rd in on base percentage with a 401 He's also 3rd in slugging with a 608. He has 31 home runs 79 RBIs. Behind him we have Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals. 922 OPS 300 average. 365 on base. 520 slugging with 26 home runs and 82 RBIs. And rounding out the top offensive players we have Freddie Freeman with a 9 20 OPS, 3.26 batting average with is second in the major league in the major leagues, fourth in on-base percentage. He also has a 5.20 slugging uh, percentage. 16 home runs, 79 RBIs, lead leader, it lead leader. <laughs> I don't know why I can't say leader right now, but he's a lead a league <laughs> a league leader in hits. Uh, with 156 and doubles with 41. Now let's go on to the best pitchers, of course, according to that ERA stat. We have Justin Verlander here at one with a 187 ERA, 16-3 and win-loss record, uh, 0.85 whip, which is first in the majors. He also has the third lowest batting average surrendered at 188. He also has 148 strikeouts. Up next, we have Tony Gonsolin of the, of the Dodgers here with a 210 ERA, 16 wins as well, uh, which is actually the top uh, number right now for wins uh, him and Justin Verlander have that. A uh, second in WHIP with a zero point eight five, and he also is surrendering the lowest batting average with a one uh, with a one sixty nine. Up next, we have one of my favorite names out there right now, uh, Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. Of the Marlins, excuse me, two point one nine ERA, zero point nine eight WHIP, which is tenth in the league right now. And then we also going to be talking. about I also want to talk about a couple of closers because when we talk about pitchers, they seem to always want to talk about the starters and. Sometimes a reliever. But let's make sure we give the, some love for the closers right now. Starting off with Emmanuel Clase of the uh, the Guardians, excuse me, twenty nine saves that leads the league right now. Although there's a few other players tied with that stat, with that twenty nine save stat. Uh, but he does have the best ERA of all the closers with a one point two zero. He also has a zero point six five WHIP, which is again the best amongst the closers, and he's given up one of the lowest batting averages at a one fifty one. Now, of course, one of the most um, interesting players and probably the most popular players in the league right now, at least the past couple of months, we have Edwin Diaz of the Mets, 28 saves. Again, there's so many players tied at that 28, 28 and 29 save mark. So again, we have to look at other things to kind of distinguish who this guy is. Uh, but he has also he's also allowing a very low batting average, a 169. He also has a very good whip, a 0.89 uh, whip, and that's on par with the other starting pitchers that we talked about. Talked about before. Uh, he also has 75 strikeouts, which is the most amongst the close. Th- most amongst the closers. I think uh, Class A has around 60, around 60 strikeouts. So again, they're striking guys out. They're not giving up no runs. Again, that's what you're looking at when you are looking at the best close. And again, you want to look at okay, you want to look at did they save? Yeah, you want to look at the save stat. Right. They have 29 saves. Okay, he's leading the league in that. But again, you want to look at that ERA. ERA uh Whip, those are the best stats you want to look at in terms of a pitcher win loss record, the saves that's one thing, don't get me wrong, that's that's a factor. But again, you want to look at how important that pitcher is just based on his skill set. Look at that ERA, look at the whip, look at the batting average. He's surrendering. You can't hit off none of these guys that I mentioned. You can't hit off Verlander, you can't hit off Diaz. You ain't bringing in no runs on Verlander, you ain't getting in no runs on Edwin Diaz or Emmanuel Clase. it's what it is. Um. You know, they don't give up a whole lot of hits. Look at Alcantara. He don't even give up a hit. He's close to maybe getting up about a hit an inning, but not even. Uh, he's a 0.98, 2.19 ERA. We're talking about some of the best pitchers right now in the league as of now. All right, y'all. Um I went through a whole lot today. <laughs> this is going to be one of the longest episodes you've heard probably in a while. But I had to get through everything. But if you're looking to get in touch with me, I'll be leaving my social media link available for you. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, please be sure to uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel by the same name, Never Out of Bounce. Uh, please be sure to like all the content there. If you... If you you know, if you do, if you, you know, if you feel like you want to, uh, there's no pressure there. Uh, but again, I will be back pretty soon. I have some more upon the fr- upon review segments I want to get through. I have a football movie that I want to get through, a baseball movie, just because we're at the end of the baseball season. We're about to start off the NFL season. So to kind of lead into that, I want to get into some football-related movies or, you know, media and also some baseball-related media just to kind of uh, culminate with all that, culminate with the start of, you know, you know what it is. I don't got to go into too much further. Uh, But anyways, as far as the YouTube is concerned, I am still working on the Pac-12 preview. I got an SEC college football preview as well, so please uh, keep a lookout for that. We are getting closer to the the start of the college football season, so I'm going to try to do my best uh, to get them out before then. As far as the podcast is concerned, I do have some other conference previews I wanted to get into for college football. Uh, The Big Ten, the Big 12, I believe those are the big ones that I did want to get into. Probably the smaller, I think that the American conference as well i'll get through a preview for that on the podcast as well and then of course you know just updating you guys on what goes on in the world whether it be with trump whether it be with biden of course he's in some issues right now uh you already know uh of course we you know we still have a war going on uh, in europe that we can we can talk about of course so um And, of course, course, y'all, if anything comes to your mind that you might want to have somebody else talk about or, you know, share some light on, please be sure to, uh, you know, hit me up via social media. Hit me up on YouTube and let me know what type of uh, subjects you might want to hear about. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll highlight all you guys later.